I would have gladly ceded you some time, Wilfred. Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders for the hour, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso coming up on Fast. Steve Eisman of Big Short fame, his take on the market turmoil and where he is spotting the next big opportunity right now. Plus, an earnings alert on Intel shares are moving lower by about 5.5% as the company's conference call gets underway. We will bring you the big headlines. And later, Barstool Trade School. The founder of Bar- Barstool Sports is with us. He started day trading just a few weeks ago, and he's down more than half a million dollars. But he's in luck. Our traders are here to help him fix his portfolio. But we start off with the major news on Gilead that weighed on the major averages today. Gilead dropping on reports the company's coronavirus drug, Remdesivir, flopped in its first clinical trial. Let's get straight to Meg Terrell with all the details. Meg. Hey, Mel. So this is yet another piece of data coming out about Gilead's drug, Remdesivir, that's difficult to parse through because it was from a halted clinical trial coming out of China that didn't enroll enough patients to finish. But basically what happened was a synopsis of these uh, partial results essentially was posted by the World Health Organization on its website, immediately taken down, but not before the Financial Times and Stat News got a hold of it. So what those results showed was that 237 patients were enrolled in this trial, 158 of them were on remdesivir. They had planned to enroll 453. Now, one of the gauges they looked for for success was mortality, how many patients survived essentially. And at 28 days, they found 14% of patients on the drug passed away versus 13% in the control group. Uh, they also said uh, in, a, in the summary of the screenshot here, they said remdesivir was not associated with clinical or virological benefits. Uh, But Gilead disputes that characterization, saying in a statement, quote, we regret that the WHO prematurely posted information regarding the study because the study was terminated early due to low enrollment. It was underpowered to enable statistically meaningful conclusions. Trends in the data, they say, suggest a potential benefit for remdesivir, particularly among patients treated early in disease. Now, Wall Street analysts trying to parse through this data, a lot of them saying it doesn't bode well for what we're going to see. But we'll note we are going to see within a week the first clinical trial data from a completed trial from Gilead. And then at the end of May, the gold standard, a double-blind placebo-controlled study from the NIH, Mel. So, Meg, some analysts, and I'm thinking of Brian Scorney of Baird, were, were quick to write off um, this drug based on this limited and incomplete study. I'm just wondering, in general, are people writing this off right now? You know, in the medical community, is there a difference between what the analyst community and what the medical community see? Well, what I'm observing is it seems to further entrench people in their already held opinions about the drug. Uh, Brian never pulls any punches and put, put out a pretty clear note today saying this does not bode well for the drug actually working. If it didn't actually improve the viral loads of the patients, uh, it doesn't look good. Um, But other people say we need to wait for the actual trial data to come in to know that. And Bloomberg actually had a really interesting story out quoting a UVA doctor who is apparently involved in this study in China who disputed the conclusions that the study failed. I've emailed him trying to get more information to understand what he means by that. But it's just a big question mark until we see the trials. All right, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. Uh, And we led with Gilead because check out this market reaction. This is what's important when the news hit. We started the day in the green, moved higher throughout the morning. Then just afternoon, the Gilead news hit. The market took a big leg lower. The S&P 500 finishing the day in the red. So, Guy Dami, what day is today? 
Today, I believe, is Thursday. It's the day of the NFL draft, Mel, which I know you'll be glued into this evening at 8 p.m. Oh, absolutely. 8 p.m. I'm there. Um, it is the one-month anniversary of the bottom, and since then, we're up 26%. <laughs> That's what I was trying to get at. <laughs> so we've, oh, or, we've, we've, or that, or that. Okay. We've made this move. There are all these hopes in the market. And what did we see today? We saw some hope come out, and we saw the markets come out. Is this what we're in for in the next couple of months? I believe so, absolutely. And in terms of the level, although it's stayed around here a lot longer than I thought, you know, 2790 or effectively 2800 in the S&P, as many people now have pointed out, is a 50% retracement of the all-time high in the S&P we made in February. And that recent 2193 low we made, I think it was uh, March 23rd or thereabouts. So the numbers add up in terms of why we're sort of stalling here. But to answer your question, you know, I think Volatility is definitely here to stay for a while. Despite the fact that the VIX has gone from 80 to current levels 40, it's been cut in half, the VIX is still probably more than three times it was uh, when you left for maternity leave. So VIX is still high. I think there's still a lot of apprehension. I think volatility is here for the foreseeable future, Melissa. I mean, Karen, it feels almost like we're in a black box of sorts. I mean, we're, we're being whipped around with the volatility based on some of these headlines about treatments and vaccines. We've got an earnings season where so many companies will probably pull their 2020 guidance. So what are we trading on? What are you trading on? Well, we are in a black box. We're actually, all the traders are in this kind of black box, this setup we got where we don't see anything. But you're <laughs> right. It's, uh, I think, you know, we looked at that Gilead move today and it makes me think all right this is what we're trading on now that and then also the hope and expectation about any other treatment because either we, because we're far from a vaccine time wise and then some trepidation about the economy opening again right you had um, governor pritzker of illinois saying that he's going to stay mostly closed through the end of may and you had trump backtracking and you know telling georgia they're opening too soon and then we even see some of the European uh, countries that are starting to open, and yet people are still afraid to go out. So uh, that, to me, is what we're going to be trading on, uncertainty. We just have no idea. And companies are telling you they have no idea. And so it's hard to, it's hard to have fundamental um, analysis that you can base your valuation on. And, you know, unless we see some other big Fed policy or... Something else from the government, that's a, a catalyst. But other than that, we're just going to be whipsawed around, I think. Yeah, and, and Tim, we spoke to Mike Novogratz earlier this week. 26 to 2,900 was his range. You uh, sell him up top, buy him below. Yep. Uh, is that sort of the attitude that you've got? Well, you know, 2,800 is, is really the 50-day. It looks like the market is, is responding very much to that 50-day moving average where it's bucked up against it and ever since, you know, uh, really early in the week we've started to run into that. Um, I, I think traders are ultimately looking at a handful of things. It includes credit spreads. It includes oil. Uh, these are some of the dynamics that, that I think were, were driving us all along. And, and so um, not a terrible surprise on a day when we're getting conservatism. I know we're about to talk about Intel. I know we're going to get into Target and some, some, some cautious guidance there. So, uh, look, this is what we should be expecting. I think after markets had uh, such a dramatic run, we're getting a combination of technicals uh, and the bottom up here from companies who have no reason to give you uh, uh, the, the, you know, the green light. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think it's a pretty constructive backdrop overall. And, it's, you know, people should not be worried about a bit of a pullback here. Grasso, you agree? Constructive backdrop overall? 
Yeah, I do believe it's a constructive back, uh, uh, backdrop because we haven't tested those lows again. Anything other than testing the lows and cascading lower is a constructive backdrop. And when you look at those retracements, guys talking about the 50-day retracement, it's 2792. So Novogratz, if you go down to that 2650 level, it's 2650, 2934. So it's the 50% and the 618 retracement, that 2800 level all the way up to that 2934. Those are the levels that you want to trade the market. But back to Gilead, if you look at the day that you had in Gilead, amazing. $84 was the upside, $74.40 was the low today. The low is important because a week ago when that news broke, we bounced from the $74.40-ish level as well. So it held that, that gap zone uh, is what they call it on a technical basis. So it held that. So that is actually constructive on Gilead. If you overlay Gilead over the markets or vice versa, you really look at direction within the marketplace. But I would not be buying Gilead. I would be buying the IBB and you get all those names all put together. But if you look at what this market's trading off of, it's trading off of therapies, testing, timelines. When does the economy get back to work? So you have to look at all those through the prism of yes, a constructive backdrop. We have not tested the lows and that's a win for the bulls. All right, let's get to Intel here on the move. Uh, earnings alert here, uh, moving lower down about five and a half percent. The call's underway. Let's get right to Josh Lipton. He's got all the details. Josh. So Melissa, I checked in with Matt Bryson over at Wedbush. He covers the name. I just wanted Matt's quick take. Uh, his bottom line was, listen, really good quarter. And, and, and Intel did beat on the bottom and the top there. He also noted the strong segment results relative to expectations. Uh, solid revenue guidance, but Bryson noting uh, operating margin guidance really weak in his words. We have to wait here on the call what they say about that. What does CEO Bob Swan has to explain that um, disappointment? As for the segments, DCG, those pricier chips for servers, uh, $7 billion in the quarter. That was better than expected. Some had bet we know that as more people uh, work, learn, and play from home, that should drive greater cloud demand. Good news for Intel. There was the CCG segment. Remember, that includes chips uh, for PCs. $9.8 billion. That was also better than expected. Again, though, some concern uh, clearly here from investors about the guidance from the company. Uh, tomorrow, by the way, our own John Ford is going to talk to CEO Bob Swan on Squawk Alley. So tune in for that. I'm sure John will have a lot of good questions about the quarter, including other topics as well. Melissa, back to you. Nothing yet on CapEx, Josh, and its plan for the year. No, no, no. And, and that call just starting right yeah. now, uh, Melissa, but we'll certainly bring you guys headlines as we get them. All right, Josh. Thank you, Josh Lipton, uh, tracking intel for us. Uh, Guy Dami, what do you what do you make of the I, mean, I guess I guess what do you make of the quarter is almost an irrelevant question at this point. Right. <laughs> no, but you always ask fantastic questions. So I'm not going to say it's irrelevant, although in this case, it, may it is be. irrelevant. What do you make of the guidance? Any surprise there? And, and in the conference call, what will you be looking for? Because I asked about CapEx specifically because I wanted to see if Intel would stand by its $17 billion plan for the year for expansion in seven nanometers, uh, because that is where the growth will be. And if they pull back on that, they might not be well positioned. My questions would be, what happened to margins? And that's something that I thought prior to Josh saying it. So that's number one. Number two. I think they said they're pulling the stock uh, purchase, stock repurchase plan. I'd be interested as to know the reason being behind that. Obviously, I guess lack of clarity for the rest of the year is part of it. And the third thing, and I'm not suggesting we're burying the lead at all, but you know, there's a lot of talk out there that Apple might be getting into their own sort of 
you know, doing their own chip thing, you know, how impactful potentially is that for Intel? I'm, to be honest with you, I'm surprised it's down as much as it is because Intel wasn't all that expensive going in, and I didn't think it was a complete disaster. So there you go. You know, sometimes a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. My inclination is this weakness is a chance to get this at, at a very reasonable price. I thought it re was reasonable 8% ago, though, Mel. Tim? Well, you have a case where, first of all, the exposure that they have, they're better than most. They're, they're not immune to what's going on out there, but 80% of their exposure is, is data center communications. We shouldn't be surprised by a conservative guide. This is a management team that the last three quarters has really uh, been overly conservative, arguably, and that has been an opportunity for investors. So remember that. And I hear what you're saying, Guy, but uh, the stock rallied, uh, really outperformed uh, going into this number. And it's outperformed its peer group. It's, it's up you know, roughly 10% to the SOX year to date. Shouldn't surprise you want to pull back. I think it's an important time. All right. Coming up, shares of Target taking a hit today. We'll tell you what CEO Brian Cornell had to say about the impact of the coronavirus on his business. And later, big short investor Steve Eisman will join us where he is spotting the next big money opportunity. Stay with us. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Target getting hit today after the retailer warned profits this quarter would be lower than expected. Target says it is spending more on labor, selling fewer high-margin items, and writing down apparel and other items that aren't selling. But the company is seeing a huge surge in online shopping. Here's what Target CEO Brian Cornell told CNBC today. As we went into the month of April, and millions of Americans are sheltering at home and They've heard from public health officials that it's best to try to minimize your time in physical store locations. We saw a huge spike in digital comps. For the quarter, we're saying we're up over 100%. But in April alone, our digital growth is over 275%. And we've just seen Cyber Monday occur almost every day, except the volume is twice the size that we've normally seen on even a Cyber Monday peak. That's all well and good, Karen, except on Cyber Monday, I'm not buying toilet paper and other staples and groceries, right? <laughs> I mean, you're buying sweaters and things like that, and that is exactly what Target is not selling, and that is exactly Target's problem. Uh, right. I do think, though, that is somewhat of a near-term problem. I mean, a couple of things went wrong. Something else that they pointed to, which I think is not a bad thing necessarily, is they're paying their employees more. They're also providing more benefits for their employees in terms of child care, uh, employees that are 65 or older, I think they can have time off. So I think that's an important investment in their business to have their employees feel uh, that they're important to the company. So I'm not against that at all. Uh, it does create, of course, higher expenses in the short term. But I think that one of the other things he said that was interesting was he believes that, that customers will want to consolidate the number of vendors they do business with. And maybe that lasts longer than just the pandemic, and I think they'd be in a very good spot having been so successful at uh, buy online, pick up in store, and making it easy for the customer to, um, to get what they want online. That's been, obviously, those numbers are absolutely gigantic. Those margins, however, are smaller. But I do think that the other thing that Target has going for it is it's one of those stocks that's benefited in the pandemic, but mm -hmm. it's not crazy expensive at all. And if you look at Walmart, which is also up a lot at Costco, and, those multiples are significantly higher. So I'm long target. I'm short some out of the money calls that are a little more out of the money now. I, I like it right here. I don't think this was, this was bad or, or particularly surprising. They gave you a heads up about this 
I think around March 25th. Right. But Grasso, you think the premiums for Walmart and the Costco, those are worth it in your view? Yeah, yeah, I think they are worth it. And I think they are susceptible, though, once we start to come out of this, of people thinking that they're, you're paying a premium and selling those and trying to get into something else. But I think that will be short-lived because I think the premiums are, as we're starting to see it, these are the companies that can survive and navigate through these difficult times. But getting back to Target, so for me, it, go, it goes Costco, Walmart, then I bottom fish with Target. And I think that when you're looking at Target, it's so much different than a coal stores. And if they're building up and taking market share, even though the category mix is not what they want it to be right now, once we get through this time period, those customers are not going anywhere and they're buying stuff that has better margins on it. So I'd be a buyer on tar uh, of tire a target on this weakness. Tim, you're shaking your head quickly. Uh, I'm not shaking my head so much at Steve. I'm thinking about the sector and I'm thinking about how much sales have been pulled forward. We're, we're talking about a recession, folks. We're talking about Walmart's the biggest consumer uh, you know, shopping opportunity in the country. Uh, it trades at a 30 percent premium to the S&P uh, during other recessions. While it's been more defensive than other parts of the retail sector, it still tends to contract by 10 percent. That to me also relative to the S&P means this multiple should come down 25 to 35 percent. I'm not saying that it will. And I know Walmart has been re-rating on their digital dynamic here, but everything Target told you is that consumables are, are low margin, and this is a case where uh, not only do we have a pull forward, but that we have a consumer that is not in the same position coming out of this uh, as they were going into this. You should not be overpaying for these names, especially now. I don't know, Guy, I think you're going to keep your closet full of toilet paper stocked well beyond uh, this pandemic. When you get to my age, it's the only thing you can do there, Melms, you know? I mean, I'm just saying. You know, I, I hedge myself, by the way, by, I know I've cut back on my Cheerio intake, but that's probably way too inf much information. Wow. In terms of trading the stock, I mean, you go back this time last year, Target was a $70 name, rallied up to 130 So if you're just looking for, you know, an entry point, as, as cliche as it sounds, I mean, $100 actually lines up pretty well. I agree with Tim. I thought Walmart's too expensive all along. I think Target should have a higher valuation. I think Walmart should come down. So if you're looking for that trade, you know, I think against $100, Target looks sort of interesting to me, Mel. All right. Coming up, the man behind the big short, Steve Eisman, has some thoughts on the current market turmoil and where he's spotting the next big short. And later, the founder of Barstool Sports took a shot at day trading and, well, he is down big. But our traders are here to help him out. We're, we have a Barstool Trade School coming up when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Our next guest made a fortune betting against subprime during the financial crisis. And with markets again in turmoil, where is he finding opportunity now? We're joined by Steve Eisman, a big short thing, senior portfolio manager at Newberger Berman. Steve, always great to speak with you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Obviously, the composition, the cause of this crisis is very different from the last crisis, but still they are both crises. And there are comparisons being made all the time in terms of the moves that we're seeing in, in asset classes. I'm wondering, in your view, are there broader themes in this crisis that you're taking advantage of? Well, I think there's an interesting opportunity in the very large banks. And the way I think about it is, in the great financial crisis, um, the banks failed, the bond markets basically failed, and the Fed and the federal government had to come in and bail out both. And this time around, the banks are fine, and the federal government had to come in and bail out the bond markets again. 
And so the way I like to think about it, if you want to put it in kind of a catchy phrase way, uh, the banks are one for two and the bond markets are 0 for two. And why is that? And the, I think the reason is that post-great financial crisis 2008, the regulatory apparatus spent years working on the banks, making sure this would never happen again. And led by uh, Fed, former Fed Governor Daniel Tarullo, uh, the banks were forced to delever, to de-risk, and to wield multiples more liquidity than they ever imagined. Now, they complained about it all the way, but they had to do it anyway. And so now that we have uh, a second great crisis, the banks are fine. I mean, they have an earnings issue near term, which they'll probably get, get through mostly in the second quarter because that's when the reserving will reach its peak and then start to come down. So I actually think long-term, the best cyclical play out there are the very large banks because in the great financial crisis, they destroyed book value and had to raise capital at the bottom. Uh And this time around, they won't have to raise capital at all and they won't destroy any book value. Getting through, though, Steve, might not equal a great equity opportunity. And so when you think about the banks and you say it's a long-term holding, how long of a term is that? Because if we are looking at some sort of crisis that puts us into a recession of, of some degree, won't the banks uh, feel the pain? Well, here, here's where, um, not to bore you with details, uh, accounting actually matters a lot. The, the accounting rules have changed this year under a rule called CECL. And in the past, what the banks would have done was they, is they would have taken the losses gradually. So if the recession was a very long duration, they would have kept taking losses throughout the recession. But under the new accounting standard, they have to essentially estimate what all the losses are going to be and take the pain now. They did a lot of that in the first quarter. They're going to do a lot more of that in the second quarter. And I think after that, the loan loss provisions of the major banks will actually decline even if the recession continues. So I think you have to get through the second quarter, and then hopefully it will be good sailing from there. Um, the last time we spoke, you had a short on Deutsche Bank, which you had held for a long time. I understand you're not in that right now, but do you see any opportunities to short any of the European banks? Because it seems that they didn't shore up as well as the U.S. banks. And here we are in, in the next crisis. I think one of the more interesting positions to put on is to be long the very large U.S. banks and to be short some European banks and to be short Canadian banks. I think actually the Canadian banks are the more interesting short than the Euro. The European banks are obvious. Uh, the Canadian banks, I think, are have not had a credit cycle in literally 30 years. They're, I think, extremely ill-prepared for it, and they're going to have real problems. Are you short Canadian banks right now? I've been short them for a while. I'm still short them. Okay. Uh, any particular names? Uh, that I don't want to get into. It's, I call it potato, potato. Pick, pick, go pick any of them. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> okay. Karen, you got a question? Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Steve. So I fully agree with you. We'll see big write-downs in Q2 and Q3. That sort of brings up the question that's often talked about is the dividends. Normally, the payout ratio, let's just say for J.P. Morgan, is 30%. This year, they may not earn enough to have a big cushion for a dividend um, for that payout ratio, but do you believe they'll keep the dividend at this level anyway and earn it back in the following years? 
uh, if it's up to the bank solely, they will definitely keep their dividend. The only way the banks are going to reduce their dividend is if the regulators tell them to. And at this point, I think that's unlikely. And by the way, I just want to correct you on one thing that you said. Um, I think the peak in reserving will be in the second quarter. In the third quarter, I think the low loss provisions will be lower than they were in the first or second quarter. That's why I think you have one more quarter of real pain to go. The last time we spoke, Steve, you're also short uh, Zillow as well as Tesla. Um, we spent a lot of time on Tesla, but I, I, I am interested in Zillow because it seems like now would be a great time to be short that sort of name, particularly when they have houses on their balance sheets and, and the market is, is virtually frozen right now. And who knows what yeah, it's going to look sure like on the Zillow, other side. I'm not short Zillow anymore yeah. because it collapsed. Um, I've replaced it with something else. With what? Uh, it's a company called Trex. <laughs> it sells uh, decking, and uh, the stock is only down 6% this year. The analysts have barely reduced the estimates for the company, symbol is TREX, and um, I think the estimates could go down by 40 to 50% from where they currently are. I understand the notion that this company hasn't gone down as much as perhaps the broader market, but is there anything else about this company in terms of, do they lo- make loans, for instance, to their customers? They don't make any loans. Or, okay. They make no loans, um, but um, it's on, a not insignificant percentage of their customers buy their product by taking out loans. And I think it's going to be much harder for those customers to take out any loans to buy uh, something that costs fifteen to $20,000. Tim, you got a question? Yeah. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us. So I know you're not short Tesla, um, but for someone that thinks the bond market's broken and 0 for 2, um, names like Tesla and names that certainly look as if there's uh, there have been balance sheet issues would be names that should be most vulnerable here. So either talk about Tesla and either why you're not short anymore or this is a classic environment when the the ocean kind of recedes back out to the sea. We see all the carnage on the beach uh, from free money. And, And if it's not free, it's a dangerous time. I mean, that's fair. I mean, the reason why I'm not sure Tesla is I just think it's a, cra- it's, it's a crazy stock. Um, it consumed too much of my time, and it moves on data that I thought was meaningless. So it's just a very, very difficult stock to live with. Um, I do agree with you. I mean, balance sheet is key now, and anybody that has any problems with balance sheet is going to have major problems. Steve, thanks for calling in. Always great to hear from you. Thank you. Steve Eisman of Newberger Berman. Guy Dom, you like any of Steve's trades? JP Morgan, you know, you talked about the large banks, and I think Karen and Tim, probably Steve as well, would agree with this. You know, whether or not tangible book means anything right now, I don't know, but I'll take JP Morgan at their word when they said it was $61. And at 89 bucks now, it's trading about 1.45 times tangible book. It's just too cheap, in my opinion. I don't think it should go back to the 2.3 that we saw at its peak of 141 stock price, but it should get damn close to two. So I think out of all the names in the space right there, J.P. Morgan's the most interesting to me. I'm surprised it hasn't done better than it has. Gross, I would go to you on tracks because you've been in the housing sector a lot. Um, that, that sound interesting to you? I'd actually push back against them on that. I think that the buyer is a more affluent buyer that uses the product, so I don't know if this uh, stint in the marketplace and the economy will take out the majority of people that actually want the product. And think about this, we're all sheltered in place. 
I go around my house every day when I finish the show or finish watching the show, and I look around at what I need to do in the house. Mm -hmm. We're all getting stir crazy. So I think these improvement products actually have a tailwind as we come out of this economic cycle. I know. I was thinking about regrouting the shower the other day, and I thought, well, what am I thinking? What am I doing here? Uh, Karen, though, I mean, I don't know if we really know <laughs> totally. the extent of the, of the impact even on an affluent buyer. I mean, do you feel comfortable that, these, that this segment is insulated? Uh, no, I, I don't. I mean, by the way, the stock is down about $5 in the aftermarket. Um, I, I definitely see what he's saying. This is sort of the, this is not a necessity. This is for, right, this is an add-on that someone wants to do, an improvement, I guess. And so I would think in an environment like this, you may be afraid of losing your job, um, that it would hurt their revenues. All right, coming up, the miners making some mega moves today where traders are finding opportunity in the new gold rush. And later, max out credit card companies slashing spending limits to cap losses. So should you charge into any of those names? Stay with us much more fast right after this. Breaking news on Google. Dom Chu's got the details. Dom. All right. So Alphabet, uh, the parent company of Google and Google saying now that the company is planning to slash its marketing budgets by as much as half. And that's according to internal documents at Google that were viewed by members of the CNBC staff. Uh, directors, they were also told that there could be hiring freezes for both full time and part time employees and contract workers that could take place. And th- again, these cuts represent probably a, a drastic move here by CEO Sundar Pichai to to kind of go through this whole process of rescaling and recalibrating with the words the business over at Google, given some of the impacts from coronavirus that's having ripple effects across many industries across America. So it just goes to show that a top tech communication services company like Alphabet and Google are not immune to what's happening right now. But we will keep a close eye on this and bring you more details. But Melissa, that full story up on CNBC.com right now, worth the read about the tech issues happening because of COVID-19. Back over to you. All right, Dom. Thank you, Dom Chu. Karen Feinerman, I go to you on this. Is this good news or bad news? Uh, well, I would say it's bad news for advertising for Google um, I, and others. I mean, that's sort of been the bear case in post-COVID for Google and Facebook and um, that companies, what's the easiest thing to cut? Uh, it's going to be advertising. So they're, they're telling you they're going to do that. We're going to see some other companies, many other companies, telling you the same thing. I'm long Google. That's my biggest position. I think that the, the market ex- expects a very significant top-line cut in the first, for this quarter we're currently in, and probably the next couple of quarters. Gold miners shining today. The group up nearly 50% since the start of the month. Names like Barrick Gold, Newmont Mining, Freeport McMoran among the big winners. So we've got to go to Guy on this one. You've liked them for a long time. Where were you in 1970, Melms? The fall. Nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know that. But I'll tell you where I was. I was probably, you know, six years old, about to turn seven. Neil Young released After the Gold Rush. Great album. I encourage you to go get it on vinyl. And I'm telling you something now, we're not even close to after the gold rush. And, you know, we haven't been talking about this in a vacuum. If you recall, we started talking about this in September 
when that whole overnight repo thing blew up on the Fed. And, and we've talked about it then, and we've continued to talk about it since. Newmont Mining's been a monster. Gold's been a monster. You know, will there be a pullback? Maybe. But I'm tell- I, you know, in my opinion, despite the move these mining stocks have had to the upside, I think it's really early in this game. I think Newmont and the miners continue to go up, Melms. Speaking of games, quick, would you rather, Tim, gold the metal, gold miners the equities? Uh, a guy's got a heart of gold, too. And, and I tell you, I, I would go with the metal. Um, I think the miners having run and done what they've done, um, you're buying these things at, at the top. I, I think gold moves higher. I think uh, I think gold, the metal, uh, actually, it looks overbought. And I, I despite what's going on out there, uh, I do think that you could see a pullback in gold expectations for the, ec- the economic backdrop are nowhere. Uh, any move on the economy, uh, and I think gold at 1800 runs into resistance, pulls back. No need to buy the miners because they will underperform by a multiple of three, is my view. All right. Up next, options traders are taking a big swipe at this credit card name heading into earnings. We'll break down the action. And later, El Prez heads to trade school. The Barstool Sports founder started day trading a few weeks ago, and things haven't been going his way. But he is in luck. Our traders are here to help him fix his portfolio. He joins us when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast. We've got an earnings alert on Capital One, the credit card company dropping after hours on a $1.3 billion quarterly loss, 2% revenue decline. Capital One, not the only credit card company making headlines. Discover Financial just slashed credit limits for customers as financial pressures mount due to the coronavirus pandemic. The move comes a day after Synchrony Financial made a similar move. So, Karen, what's your take on the credit card companies? And, and these credit card names are interesting because these are typically... You know, the people who hold these credit cards are typically the ones that carry balances. So it's a specific group in the population. It's a specific group. It's obviously it's a very big spread when they do earn it. But the question when you have a recession or whatever we're going to be in um, is what happens to their credit quality. So they took a big charge to uh, reserve for that. But I think there's going to be a lot more charges to come. They're talking about 9 percent. of their auto loans asking for forbearance, which is a, is a pretty big number. And this is, a, this is a, a borrower that has a different FICO score than you're going to see at a J.P. Morgan. So I think there's more pain to come here. All right. We'll get an even closer look at the state of the consumer and consumer credit when American Express reports earnings tomorrow. The stock has been crushed this year, but options traders are betting on a bounce when the results hit the wire. Mike's got the options action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. So in AXP, what we saw today was about two times the normal options volume. It may have actually ticked over three times by the end of the day. The options market is implying a move of about 4.6% by the end of the week after they report tomorrow morning. And that's obviously above what we've seen over the past eight quarters. The most active options were the 84 strike calls. The buyers of those were paying a little over $2. So they're betting that that move of about four plus percent is going to be to the upside. And as you pointed out, Stock has been very hard hit. And if we take a look back at the 2008 period for AXP, we can see that their revenues declined fairly sharply. We'll see if we find out something similar is happening uh, net of the coronavirus impact. All right, Mike, thanks for that. More Options Action Friday is a full show, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, we've got breaking news coming out of Washington. Let's get to Kayla Tausche with the story. Kayla. Melissa, this $500 billion interim stimulus package has enough votes to pass the House of Representatives. Remember, this bill includes 
$310 to billion dollars to expand the small business loan program. $60 billion of that will go to smaller banking institutions. You also have a $60 billion expansion of loans and grants from the SBA's disaster relief program and $100 billion going to hospitals and toward testing. Now, of course, this is not expected to be the last tranche of money that is needed out of Washington. It's seen as a stopgap or a Band-Aid measure to keep many small businesses going and to help hospitals cover treatment for uh, patients who are being treated for COVID who do not have insurance. But it remains to be seen what would be included in that next major stimulus package. For now, uh, we await the final results of this vote, Melissa, and the president's signing of this uh, momentarily. All right, Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche in Washington. Up next, pull up a bar stool. The founder of Barstool Sports is with us. He took a crack at day trading a few weeks ago, and, well, let's just say things haven't gone his way. But our traders are here to help. We've got a special Barstool Trade School on tap. Stay with us. Welcome back to Fast Money. The wild swings on Wall Street are bringing a new flood of new traders into the market. Case in point, Charles Schwab reporting a record number of new brokerage accounts opening. But if you don't know what you're doing, you could get burned big time. Many of you know our next guest, and he has his own cautionary tale to tell. David Portnoy is founder of Barstool Sports. About a few weeks ago, he decided to take, take a crack at day trading. He put $3 million into an E-Trade account, and he's currently down about $600,000. Dave, welcome. How are you? <laughs> I feel like we should play the sad trombone when I say that. What were you, had you ever traded a stock before this? I think I had. I was a Twitter guy. So I, uh, my first foray, I think I bought Twitter around 50 and then uh, sold it around 18 and then watched it climb back up to 40. So I was 0 for 1 going into it. Uh-huh. What what's your stri- what's in your portfolio right now and, and how do you how do you choose the stocks to go in there? Yeah, so I'm flat right now. Today I was trading uh, Shopify and uh, Amazon all day. But basically I look for stocks because I put a lot of money into it. I look for stocks that have high volatility um, and that a lot of volume because I don't want to be like shaping the market. So I look for big stocks that a lot of people are trading a lot of. So you mentioned two stocks today that you're in. Are you trading uh, you know, millions of dollars worth at a time? Oh, yeah. I mean, so I'm learning a lot as I go. I will say I was down 1.2 million, so I, I, I'm hot right now. But with this margin thing, which I had no idea about, I'll have like $12 million in play most of the time. Oh, so you're leveraging your $3 million into much oh, more. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> wow, a guy who likes to, to <laughs> take a challenge. All right, uh, Davey Day Trader is the name that you have given yourself, and we do want to help you. I mean, this is okay. called Fast Money. So we'll try yep. and help you. We've got some uh, questions uh, that you can pose to our traders. So uh, let's let's start. Class is in session, right, for trade school right now. And we got to start with Boeing here. Dave, apparently you got burned in this one. So Yeah, I hate Boeing. If I saw Boeing, I'd punch <laughs> it in the face. Boeing has accounted for almost all of my losses. Um, so I learned how to short. Like, I didn't really know you could do that. I think I shorted Boeing around 140. It went up to 170, 180 forced me out when I sold it, it fell all the way right back down to 140. I can't figure out day to day if anything has to do with why Boeing has some such tumultuous uh, rises and falls. Like I know it's in the news. I read it, but I can't tie it to why it has these wild swings. I think this is a very good question, Guy. I'm sure a lot of other 
uh, traders out there are, are, you know, in this conundrum as well when it comes to Boeing. And right now we're in the land of federal bailout. So it's a different dynamic. 100% different dynamic. Thanks for being here. I was watching the 2014 draft last night, and everybody loved Johnny Manziel. And I was watching it, and I'm watching, you know, the, the minutes go by into hours and watching Manziel 4 to 22. So everybody loved him. They thought they were getting a bargain at 22, the Browns, and then we know what happened. I think that's exactly what's happening in Boeing now. I think everybody thinks they're getting a bargain at 135 until the report earnings at the end of the month. And I think Boeing's going to turn into the Johnny Manziel of the end of April. So I think you're right in terms of your thinking to short this thing. And I think it could again be a double digit stock at the end of the month, Dave. Karen, just quickly, your thoughts on Boeing and whether or not you see value there. You're a value investor. I am, but it's hard to see anything there, right? You have so many macro issues and then you have so many micro issues, uh, right, with the 737 MAX. Um, by the way, Mr. Portnoy, I did catch a few minutes of unboxing, so um, oh. thanks for that. Um, <laughs> but you don't, one last thing, you don't need to make it back in the same place that you lost it. So if Boeing isn't working for you, you don't need to stick with it. I'm done. People are sending me a lot of Boeing uh, merch now, my unboxings, just to rub it in. People like to see me lose. I also, that's the other thing I've learned, I hate financial Twitter. I've never seen so many know-it-alls. <laughs> Uh, nobody has ever lost on Twitter. <laughs> Welcome to our world, Davey <laughs> Day Trader. Welcome yeah. to our world. Uh, you, can, you can burn all that Boeing stuff in effigy, right? Um, you got a yeah. question on Microsoft. It's currently in your portfolio, Dave. Yeah, so Microsoft and Shopify, this is one of the things. People always say I'm late, and I know Microsoft is way up, and Shopify was way up. But, you know, I still like it, and I still have done pretty well on it today. Like, today was a good day for me. So when things hit their all-time high, like like a Shopify or, you know, an Amazon, I still want to stay with it. Should you run away, basically, from a stock that is clearly at one of its high points, like those two right now? I think that's a good question. There are a lot of names out there like that that are more defensive stocks, Tim, that are at high. So what do you do? Yeah, Dave, uh, you're very brave playing Hurt right here. And with Microsoft, you know, I think this is like a, a, an original six franchise that's won, come back and won the Stanley Cup. I mean, think about the Microsoft of old, and now it's now back at the top of the heap. And it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, another, another metaphor. It's kind of like the athlete. It's like the Bryce Harper who's just signed a huge contract and the expectations are so high. And he has a decent year, but, but again, uh, it's really where it's priced from. I think in Microsoft's case, you, you've got a company that, that largely in the current environment, mm -hmm. uh, is playing defense. You, you've got a lot of cloud exposure. You've got Azure. You've got Microsoft 360. Um, I, I think this is really just a function of that big contract it signed. It's expensive. Uh, but but there's no question Microsoft is is a name is, you know, is the guy you want right. to have in your team. And, and I would stay there. We're running out of time, but I do want to get to the watch list, Dave, because you're you're wondering about Domino's. You, you'd like to buy this one? Well, yeah, I'm a pizza guy, so I consider <laughs> myself the number one pizza expert in like the world. I saw it was down today. I, I know the earnings came out. They beat earnings. I didn't totally get it to me. Pizza, that's recession proof. That's Corona proof. That's everything proof. Domino seems like a no-brainer to me. I know it was high, but it's down today. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to own Domino's right now. But Bad Pizza, by the way, great delivery company. Steve Grasso, what do you tell Dave? 
David, I think you're 100% spot on. The problem is in February, it jumped 24%. So you have the right idea that it sold off with the overall market, rallied again. So I think everything is sort of in the news with Domino's. So there's a lot of people that are following that same thing. They're a great company, great pizza, great delivery. But at this point, I'm going to tell you to go back. You want a day trade? Trade Snap. It's a name that I'm long. This one's all over the map. It's a much cheaper stock than a Boeing, than a Domino's, and it trades like water. Get in there with your type of money. You can really have fun and Snap. I'm not guaranteeing you make any money, but it doesn't seem like you need to uh, make any money on a day-to-day basis. Well, I'll be in there tomorrow. You'll hear from me if it does not go well. You won't hear from me if I do well, but I'll be in Snap tomorrow. If it does does well, it's all your idea, Davey, right? (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Do appreciate it. Fun talking to you, Dave. Dave Portnoy, founder of Barstool Sports. By the way, Domino's CEO is sitting down with Jim Cramer at the top of the hour, so you will not want to miss that. Coming up next, we've got the final trade. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, talk about playing defense. Verizon, certainly in the wireless space, is the defensive of the two. I own AT&T as well. But again, a lot of pressure, a lot of volume in the wireless names. And I think this is actually a name that you want to hold on to. Steve Grasso. Target. And like I said before, I think you're good to buy this one on weakness. You do not have to place your flag in the sand on this one. So $100 par level, 100, you could shoot against that level and buy it in lots of 25% of whatever you want to own. You don't have to rush in. Don't be a hero. Target on weakness. Karen Feinerman. Yes. Uh, JP Morgan. Uh, I agree with Steve. I like what he had to say. I think that while we're going to see more pain from all of the big banks, they obviously are the premier name. And I think the stocks already reflect a fair amount of pain already. So... J.P. Morgan, right here. Guy Adami. Melms, quick. If the, the Giants trade out of four to get one of their tackles in the top 11, or you stay at four and pick the stud? Stay. Netflix, Melm, it held 415. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money starts right now.